Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute. Uh, good evening and welcome to all of you who are viewing this NYU Abu Dhabi Institute webinar tonight. And that is a welcome really warmly to our colleagues, our students and our community members who are both near and far my name is Gwyneth Bravo, and I'm a faculty member here at NYU Abu Dhabi. And tonight I will be facilitating this panel, Reimagining Borders, the Performing Arts in Global Dialogue. As part of my brief introduction tonight, I also want to thank the leadership of our NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. And that is um, the director who you just saw, Philip Kennedy, and in particular, uh, the Assistant Director of Public Programming, Nahid Ahmed. Also, importantly, we would like to acknowledge our Institute partners in New York uh, for their invitation and their support in the development of this panel tonight. At a time uh, when we are challenged and confronted by the changing nature and condition of borders and borderlands, this panel seeks to explore the question of how the performing arts might serve as a catalyst for reimagining current border logics, which have been shaped not only by longstanding territorial disputes and political conflicts, but also by the conditions of globalizations. And I would also add with that forced migration and further conflict. The, this question is explored in the panelist presentations tonight of three artists and also cultural initiators whose work engages in every way with the meaning of borders, but not only as physical sites of conflict and contestation, also reconciliation, but also as cultural and imagined spaces where competing interests ideologies and narratives are brought into dialogue in their work through music, dance, and also theater. Tonight, our panelists are the renowned Palestinian singer, actress, producer, and cultural activist, Amal Murkas, the award-winning founder and artistic director of the Bond Street Theater, Joanna Sherman, and finally, NYU Tisch professor, our colleague, Andy Tierstein, who is the founder and director of Translucent Borders as a project uh, that was funded as a working group of the NYU Global Institute for Advanced Study. And that is a funding from 2015 to 2019. And under um, Andy's leadership, this project has been a catalyst for numerous global partnerships in Ghana, in Cuba, in the United States, and in Europe that has brought together both internationally and regionally recognized artists and scholars, and importantly, Amal Murkus, Joanna Sherman, and myself to critically explore borders as sites for possible creative collaboration 
and activism. As an outgrowth of these encounters and engagements site-specific in these regions that I've just mentioned, concerts, conferences, and workshops followed in places such as New York City, the Adirondacks, Lincoln Center, and the Jacobs Pillow Dance Festival, as well as a workshop here most recently in 2019 at NYU Abu Dhabi, which was generously funded and supported by our very own NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. At that time, uh, at the moment that I also became involved in this project, 25 artists, performers, and scholars from diverse cultural traditions came to NYU to explore the performing arts as a framework for rethinking and reimagining the meaning of borders and borderlands in their work in diverse cultural contexts. So before I turn it over to our first panelist, of course, Andy Tierstein, um, I just want to mention the format for tonight. And that is there will be three uh, panelist presentations of roughly 12 to 14 minutes. Um, interpolated in between, I will do a bio introduction of Amal and Joanna. And then finally, a very short uh, panel discussion that I will facilitate and moderate, um, followed by your uh, questions as an audience who are gathered here tonight. And then very importantly, I'd like to uh, take note that Amal Murkus, um has very kindly agreed to share a song with us at the very end of the Q&A uh, to bring us together, after which I'll make some final remarks. So thank you to all of you uh, for gathering here tonight for this panel. And it's my pleasure uh, to welcome our first panelist, Andy Tierstein, the founder and director of the Translucent Borders Project. Welcome, Andy. Thank you, Professor Bravo. That was a lovely introduction. Um, and, uh, you know, Gwyneth played a large role in bringing our Abu Dhabi workshop to life. Her particular scholarly interests are absolutely remarkable. You should take a look. Uh, just look at her course names. She has a course called Death, Myths, Histories, and Metamorphosis, which is an extraordinary name. Are, are folks seeing me on the screen? Just want to check. I'm assuming you are, unless I hear otherwise. Good. I don't see myself on the screen. That's fine. Uh, so I'm really happy to be able to share this work with you today. Uh, I always think of NYU as a, as a full glass that is, you, you try to pour more water into it. But uh, I'm, I'm so happy that we have this opportunity and I'm really honored to share this panel today with um, these distinguished co-panelists and friends of mine. They are leaders, they are artists who respond to their communities, to world events. The Translucent Borders Project brought all four of us together. Uh, Amal has participated in our workshops with her brilliant son, Faraz, and I've learned much from Amal over these years. Joanna, I've known for a long time since we were actually clowns, real clowns, in the 80s. And I've been stunned over these years by her work in war-torn communities, as you'll hear, including even surviving a suicide bombing, for instance. Uh, and she joined us in Abu Dhabi for part of our conference. <clears throat> 
So I'm actually a professor in the dance department at Tisch. I'm a composer. And some years ago, I made a proposal to the Tisch School of the Arts about how we might use the concepts of artistic collaboration to engage with NYU's global sites. And in 2015, I received a green light with funding from the provost office to create this three-year working group, which we loftily entitled the Global Institute for Dance and Music. Uh, we later adopted the name Translucent Borders. So what is translucent about an artistic sense of borders? In many ways, the arts defy the concept of a border. They permeate regardless of the politics. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, as, as depending on your perspective, <clears throat> what is American that permeates everything almost of its own accord is commercialism, pop, pop music, pop culture, TV, blockbuster movies. And this becomes a global culture. And it is territorial, meaning that it eats up the available cultural space, leaving no room for the ancestral cultures, for the stories, songs, and dances that are in the bodies of the grandmothers and fathers of any given place, what the writer Wade Davis calls the shrinking ethnosphere. So um, we found we were interested in places where people are usually struggling to hold on to these dance and music heritages. And we focused on four parts of the world. I will now share my screen with you. So um, we focused on Lesbos, the Middle East, Ghana, and Cuba. And we gave each of these different areas, uh, you know, sort of areas of inquiry, uh, names of inquiry, inspiration, de ritmo, traveling on foot, tradition and innovation, and deep listening. And we traveled to these places, teaching exchanges, interviews, all kinds of sessions. And we met people and made connections uh, and after we'd gone to these different places doing workshops, we then brought artists from each place to the United States. And this all sounds like a hallucination now, given the pandemic restrictions. But uh, one of our most successful convenings was at the Jacobs Pillow Dance Festival in 2018. <clears throat> so dancers and musicians are skilled in the art of collaboration. It's what we do. And this translucence often begins in improvisation. So I'm going to play you a clip about improvisation and collaboration from our Jacobs Pillow sessions. There's something about improvisation that is immediately disarming. You're listening differently to people, and you start by having a dialogue. Um, somebody moves their body in a certain way, and you respond, and it triggers you to try to show something that you do. And 
without thinking so much. Um, whereas performance is is more of something contrived. We spend a lot of time trying to make it just right. Um, so it's very important for us to reveal ourselves through improvisation, and this is why we began with that at Jacob's Pillow to get beyond the words. So this is the main basic thing that we're gonna do all the time on stage. What has always fascinated me about this endeavor is the fact that artists are attracted to borders. There's a certain uh, magnetic field around the border. You know, otherness is fascinating to artists. Um, so what is this thing about the border, this line between that makes people both attracted and, you know, they're attracted to them and also repulsed by them at the same time. There's violence there and there's also a great potential. I mean, the very first thing that happened was in 2016, this whole border thing blew up where people were coming on, as they still are, coming on boats. One of the first points of contact with the European Union was the island of Lesbos in Greece. So I said, look, this is about borders. We have to go there. And we went and um, the concept was pretty simple. We just brought a bunch of musical instruments, brought drums and ouds. And the idea was simply, let's just set up in a corner of the refugee camps and play. And what we discovered is that whoever was holding the drum was the center of gravity for these little, these little global nannies, we can call it, these little jam sessions. So that's where it all began. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, you know, in a basic way, the Translucent Borders Project is about uh, fostering collaborations and artist-to-artist -artist dialogue. And uh, we did this most significantly in these workshops that we did at Jacob's Pillow, at the Blue Mountain Center for the Arts, and to some extent at our Abu Dhabi Institute workshop. So I want to get more into this uh, now with another clip from a collaboration between Netta Viner and Muhammad Mugrabi, part of a hip-hop group called System Ali, and Suli Imoro, a Ghanaian dancer and musician in, at Jacob's Pillow. And you'll see some of the tensions that developed. It's not easy work. A lot of this work is interesting, particularly because it has some rich tensions built into it. can fit to where for what. Right. Okay. Yeah, because okay. everything you do is amazing. I mean, the beats and everything, the drumming, see how okay. we can fit in. Okay. Um, and see where pieces of rap can fit in. Okay. I just realized how intense this week was emotionally and artistically. I think it was very productive in terms of, uh, of tools or of understandings um, on, a, on a negative way as well, positive and negative understanding what uh, you do or what you don't believe in, in terms of uh, bringing people together through art. It's a great and an amazing thing. It can be very dangerous, um, very manipulative, especially when we're talking about the field of cultures and how uh, multiculturalism can be expressed. I feel that it's something to be very careful with. <laughs> I read Suli's name 
when we got the names of the participants and the first thing I did was to look him up. And then I saw some videos of Suli dancing and playing and I did blew my mind away. And I was calling Mohammed's like, you, you don't understand who we're going to collaborate with. This is amazing artist. And the meeting of the three of us was a very powerful experience for me. Like it, it was a conversation between three men, obviously in different ages, very different experiences and approaches, but I felt like there was a deep connection there. Um, also in terms of the like the beat, the drum, um, for us is a necessity. Like the beat is the house, that's the house, that's what keeps us together. Um, and this whole piece, you know, this he sent us a, a picture of his drum being built and he said he had this idea of a woman coming out of it, this piece talking about birth. And we were just in the midst of working on a, a textual piece using this image of motherhood and birth. Um, you know, like in terms of the layers, like referring to the culture as mother, referring to our language as the mother and to this concept of mother tongue. And why is it a mother tongue? Um, the stories were being told, why we're being told them. So it was really, it met us in a very creative point. Um, and this is why I think it works. <laughs> מאחוריי יש להם פצצת אטום, הבאנו חרב סמוראי, בשרבל הרני, פער הנימאי, אונן ואמונה אחת גדולה במה שלא נגמר, לא התחיל אז בהתקווה בפונר, מפירה מיקסה לראש על ההר על התורן, הדגל נפרץ המיתר על צוואר הגיטרה, עתיד העבר, So these connections were made artist to artist. And for the Americans, the attraction was in the process of breaking preconceptions and stereotypes. You know, we all know uh, that Americans are rather ignorant about the rest of the world, where places are, what people are all about. So I think a lot of our artists just wanted to participate because they were hungry for that kind of deep engagement with otherness and to do this with authenticity, with detail. So this has an effect on the artist's own creative process. And I'd like to hear from uh, Donald Byrd here, uh, a wonderful choreographer, the artistic director of Spectrum Dance Theater, uh, the choreographer of The Color Purple on Broadway. We brought Donald to Ghana, and um, here's a little bit of his response to that trip. My first impression of here being in Ghana was is actually how beautiful the people are. Uh, I think the people are extremely beautiful. I just kind of think like, wow, where did they come from? You know, incredibly beautiful people, their posture, they stand up straight. Uh, there is no, I mean, it, I, I suspect, and I'm speculating here, you know, I'm kind of making up shit, you know, but like the, 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 the effect or the impact of colonialism has did not destroy these people's dignity. It may have suppressed it a bit, but it did not destroy it. And you can see that dignity in terms of how they carry their bodies. And it's not just the young people. It's like across generations from what I've seen, people stand up straight. 
you know, often in the Americas, you see the trauma of slavery in people's bodies, you know, still after all this time. Or even, not so much slavery, police brutality, you know, all of the stuff that goes on in, you know, the oppression that goes on inside American uh, communities, black communities, you see it in people's bodies. And so here you don't see any of that. It's a different way that they hold their body. The Translucent Borders Project is really challenging to talk about to kind of articulate what it is uh, in even in the terms of the program itself, what it says, and then what I think about that and how does that affect me. But I, I, I think the, I think I'm coming to the conclusion that it's really about the people that are on each Trip. I mean, certainly in this case, it's about my relationship and interactions with the people that's all part of this team. That that's really where it is, because that's where a lot of things kind of get, that there's certain dynamics that kind of come out that are, I think, the essence of what Translucent Borders is about. Uh, and uh, that it is, uh, there are, uh, there's a confrontation of, of values of uh, points of view, of uh, uh, belief systems, uh, and it's our little group is kind of a microcosm of some larger thing that's happening that happens. So I'm going to head towards the end now of my part, um, but I wanted to. So what Donald was talking about there is the fact that we were going to these places not to change them or that's more like what the cultural diplomacy of uh you know these cultural ambassadorships and so forth of the past you know from the 50s and 60s and the cold war and anti-communism which was very good for the arts where we would send people to sort of proclaim about how wonderful america is while back home you know, there was the Jim Crow era. Uh, what we were doing was not so much to proclaim or to, you know, show what we do as much as to learn, to listen, to learn, and to see what would come out of these connections. Keeping that open-endedness was very important. So the Translucent Borders Endeavor resulted in three workshop conferences, the final one being in Abu Dhabi, a convening of scholars and artists from Ghana, the UAE, the Middle East, Sweden, the United States, in Abu Dhabi, the, you know, scholars shared research in lectures and panels and in creative movement experiences. Translucent Borders has a vibrant website. I invite you to check it out. We've created a documentary film and hundreds of hours of interviews. Until this point, the work has been for faculty and master artists, and now we're bringing it to the students developing curriculum. There will be a big ideas course in the fall and a new course for our Tisch MFA students as well. So now we find ourselves at this moment when the US and all of academia is really at a crossroads. And all the issues of the moment are heightened by this pandemic, which certainly shows how interconnected the globe is. And to bring this right home to now, my students are beginning to ask themselves and the faculty, how can I bring my own heritage, my own work, my own family and my community? How can I bring those roots into my new creative work? This is a new phenomenon. 
it used to be all about the experiment, what's experimental, what's postmodernist, and largely abstracted from any sense of connection, heritage, or identity in that way, connection to stories, to songs and dances of the community. But that's beginning to change. So with that, and with much gratitude to the Abu Dhabi Institute and to you for listening, I will hand this back to Gwyneth. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much, Andy, and for all of you here gathered tonight for this panel. I want to now introduce Amal Murkas. Um, it's be an honor as a longtime uh, listener of her music for me to have this opportunity to uh, share a little bit about her biography with you. Amal Murkas is the internationally acclaimed Palestinian singer, actress, producer and songwriter, and she is also the host of numerous cultural and artistic TV and radio shows. Born in Galilee in 1968 in the northwestern uh, part of historical Palestine, now Israel, Amal is part of the native Palestinian minority who remained in their homeland. Her father, Namir Murkas, was a Palestinian leader, author, and educator. And Nahiba Marcos, her mother, a human rights activist and a feminist leader. Amal was educated at the Beit Svi Conservatory for Performing Arts and is also a graduate of the Musrara Conservatory for Art for Social Change. As a Palestinian singer and actress, Amal has developed her career uh, to promote Palestinian music and culture. Um, and as part of that, she has created and released five albums of songs, as well as many single releases and collaborations, all of which are inspired by authentic Arab and Palestinian poetry and music. Her uh, extensive vocal range and creative talents have enabled her, Murkas, to perform in a wide range of genres from traditional Arab to modern, popular Western styles, which have paved the way for her numerous collaborations with internationally known artists, including Mercedes Sosa, jo jo Joan Baez, pardon, uh, Robert Wyatt, and Enzo Avitabal. And that's just uh, to name a few of the many that she shared with me. Um, Morka has also toured the world with her music, performing at international festivals and prestigious venues in Italy, Germany, France, Russia, Tanzania, uh, Spain, Denmark, Bulgaria, Greece, Tunisia, Morocco, Brazil, the UK, and the United States. Amal is often, and this relates very closely with tonight, associated with the Palestinian poets from Galilee, who were referred to as the poets of resistance. These poets include the figures like Mahmoud Darwish, Samia Al-Hasim, Tarwik Sayyad, and Amal has sang sung, pardon, composed, and produced many of their works, as well as shared and co-hosted cultural events with them. And finally, uh, before uh, bringing Amal in, um, she has been deemed one of the most beautiful voices of the 20th century, the Fairuz of Palestine. So please, uh, let's join together in a virtual round of applause, uh, to applause, pardon, to welcome our guest, 
Amal. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Gwen. And good evening. Thank you, everybody, uh, is uh, attending this um, lovely event. Thank you, Andy, that gathered us also with his uh, uh, important uh, project, Translucent Borders. Um, I hope you enjoy my presentation. And uh, maybe before I started, if you want to show some of the concerts, Gwen, as we agree, or shall I start uh, talking? I think, yeah, show the concert with Andy. Yeah, please. Let's go. 
Thank you. Thank you. Good evening again uh, from the Galilee, from uh, Kufir Yasif, uh, my village where I um, exist and where I live. Today is 30 of uh, March. We mark the land day uh, in Palestine. Um, and it is a, a political day, not ecology day, but it's both connected. Uh, usually, we don't make um, a happy occasions in this day. We only go to demonstrate and maybe we make some political event uh, to remember six uh, young uh, uh, Palestinians that were killed from the Israeli forces, uh, they, that they were also Israeli citizens, Palestinians, Israeli citizens. And it was uh, against land confiscation, uh, the lands that were already took, uh, taken from the um, Palestinians. Uh, but um, the most important thing that I learned in my uh, career is that music and art and my songs uh, bring me more and more to be connected to people, even if there is borders and even if there is uh, limits and wars. And um, to be an artist is a gift. Is the most important instrument that life and gives give to me to be an artist to deal with music to deal with the uh, theater uh, cinema books uh, dance uh, it's the most important way that human being can use to express his life to express his feeling to express his dreams his hopes and even his sadness and his worries and things that he is depressed from uh, from the difficult life but um, uh, so i when i hear andy and i saw the flashback of the retreat that i took part in uh, jacob pillows or lincoln center or in, or in palestine israel uh, it was amazing to to go back to this uh, period which so important for artists uh, to meet together and to create together and even without rehearsing only to meet and to try to create with their energies a uh, kind of music kind of dance and to hear each other's um, backgrounds and traditions usually the globalization and the new uh, way of living is to make people look like each other like the cities in the country the whole countries must be uh, looking the same, our clothes, uh, things that we see in TV or Netflix, we all uh, like feel the same. But in general, if we check, we see that some roots are not being promoted enough. And some people are living in the shadow while other people in the other part of the world are in the light. And this is what happened to me in my career, that I always felt that I'm in the shadow of, of the Israeli musicians and artists, or from the Western music and art, or from the Arab uh, uh, famous artists, because I belong to a minority and for people that don't have real you know, professional productions. And I belonged for um, part of the Palestinian people that we keep use the word and feel to struggle, to exist, to say, I am exist, I am here. Because um, I grew up in a reality of conflict, war, and also discrimination and racist. As an Arab, as a Palestinian, my people, uh, are not together. Some are in Ramallah, some are in Gaza, some are in refugee camps in Lebanon, some are abroad. And I stayed, I'm the native, a Palestinian that my parents and my family stays in their lands in 1948. To learn about my music journey and about my songs, you must also learn a little bit about the Palestinians 
uh, history about the Palestinian natives that stays in their lands in 1948 and become Israeli citizen. Um, so I took my music and my lyrics from what I read in the home, in my uh, small home in Kufar Yassif. My parents and my father was also a teacher, but he was also a journalist and a political activist. And I grew up seeing photos of refugees in the magazine that was forbidden in Israel. Arabic magazine, Arabic political magazine, Arabic artist, uh, art and cultural magazine. It was forbidden for us to learn in the, in the, in the school in Israel uh, about our poetry, about our poems, about our history. So we learn about it in our home and in the youth club in the village. And when I start to sing in very early age, really two years old, three years old, five years old, I stand on the uh, stage and start to sing. It was tradition songs and then political songs uh, and that express the feeling of longing to the homeland. I stayed in my homeland, but my relatives was, uh, was behind the borders in Lebanon. They were refugees. So the whole career till now, now I'm a mother of two young uh, musicians and artists, and um, I have a long time of uh, artistic journey, I still try to make the balance between to feel and keep my homeland and between to be a citizen in a country. And it's always like, it looks like a fight. And it's not easy for a person, for an artist to create in fighting all the time. So I choose to be in most of the thing that I can express my passion for singing, my passion to live, my passion for hope, and to reach people and to know and to express more and more about my reality. So I was very happy uh, to be um, in a lot of different places in the world, in festivals, when the world admit that I, I am exist as a singer, as a Palestinian singer, and to hear about my story, my, about my history life. Um, it's not easy, but I feel that I'm keeping the hope. I try not to see borders, but of course I see them and I feel them. Um, my songs explain a lot about me, about my people. Um, and I feel that I'm not only an artist that want to, to live from being an artist, but I feel that I have a mission to promote my uh, people's voice and the people inside the society, especially children, the women, and uh, people who are suffering, because this is the, um, the group of people that their voice is not really um, reaching. Uh, I'm dealing with difficulties of um, the social media, the platforms, the new platforms, because when you are part of people that are not really exist on the artistic map of the world, not always, not like any artist in the world. It's like to be all the time um, uh, in um, kind of um, process uh, to develop your career and also to be to deal with difficulties uh, inside the place that you are living in your homeland, in your country or uh, in the um, uh, media. It's always to explain uh, yourself. Uh, and I find that um, translucent borders, when I go to NY or when we also meet here, 
uh, I had the chance to, to deal with Andy Dresden that I owe him a lot of uh, beautiful feelings and a lot of hopes that I developed in these um, translucent borders to really explain the difference, to really to, uh, to talk about the difficulties of being Palestinian artist that really seeks to sing and to uh, enjoy a beautiful career, uh, but always had on his shoulder a kind of memory collective that it's important to us to explain. Um, and sometimes I feel that the borders, we create borders, and if we decide not to make borders, we can also delete these borders. Um, I remember a period of life before the Facebook and YouTube and internet that even if I did not step behind the borders in Lebanon and Egypt and Jordan and Tunisia, I was forbidden to enter these places, the Arabic world, because I have Israeli citizen, as you know, and I have Palestinian uh, roots and uh, identity. But the music reached me. The culture reaches me because music and art, like flowers, like trees, it exists and it fly and it reach people. It always reach people. And I was so happy when I released my first CD that it goes for a worldwide um, distribution uh, that brought me uh, the feeling that I'm like a bird that's flying and my voice is reaching more and more people. So thank you. And I hope uh, later I can answer some question. This is my presentation. I wish you a lovely evening, evening for all of you. Thank you, Gwen. Thank you so much, Amal. And for those of you listening tonight, I just wanted to let you know that Amal Murkas will be um, visiting um, our music history class here, my music history class here um, on the 15th of April. So if you're interested in attending, she's also going to be um, having a more close encounter with our students here at NYU. So thank you so much. And we're looking forward to the Q&A uh, very shortly. And it's my pleasure, um, all of you now who are here gathered tonight, um, to now introduce our next panelist, uh, Joanna Sherman. Um, she is an award-winning founder and artistic director, uh, the founder and artistic director of the Bond Street Theater. And Joanna, you can come up on the screen so we can see your beautiful face. Um, and she's been directing projects for social justice and improvement globally since 1984. The Bond Street Theater Company works primarily in post-war and disadvantaged communities, collaborating with local artists and applying the arts in the peacemaking process with a focus on refugees, women, and marginalized populations. Current areas of her work include engagement um, in Afghanistan, Myanmar, Malaysia, Egypt, Jordan, and South Africa, and just to name a few of the 40 countries that she's been engaged with during the last 35 years of her career. As a frequent public speaker and advocate for theater for social justice, Joanna has presented widely on the role of the arts in peace building at the United Nations, the National Council on Women, the United States Institute of Peace, 
the Association of Performing Arts, the UN Conference on Women in China, and universities and other arts organizations. She has been featured on CNN, BBC, NPR, The Voice of America, and Radio Free Europe. And her publications include The Children of Afghanistan with University of Texas Press and an article in American Theater and Women in Theater magazines. Having been, uh, having received the prestigious MacArthur Foundation Award for Intercultural Programming for the Bond Street Theater under her leadership in 1991, um, Joanna is also the 2014 Lee Reynolds um, recipient for the League of Professional Theater Women, as well as the 2015 Otto Award for Political Theater. And I'd like to mention just um, as we are, as I'm closing this introduction, most recently in 2018, Joanna was the recipient of the CUAA Peter Cooper Public Service Award and was inducted into the Cooper Union Hall of Fame in that same year. And uh, Joanna holds a BFA in Arts and Architecture from Cooper Union uh, School of Fine Arts and an MA in Theater and International Studies from no less than our very own NYU University, where she received um, in 2014 a Distinguished Achievement Award in the Arts um, in addition to all her many, many accomplishments, she is an avid saxophone player and can be heard performing with her team, the Shinbone Alley Stilt Band. So please, uh, friends and community members, let's welcome our very own Joanna Sherman. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gwyneth, and thank you also to Andy and Amal. I am truly inspired to be here and listening to everybody. I'm just uh, in awe. And, um, you know, as we said, the arts are how we communicate. It's what's in our hearts and minds. This comes out through the music, through the dance, through the theater. And I, I think also theater, especially because it includes all of the arts. Now, um, I'm going to speak mostly about our work in two countries today, Afghanistan and the Rohingya refugees in Malaysia. And um, to start out, people ask us why theater? How do you do theater for refugees? They imagine a stage, lights, tickets, seats, but I want to show you this is our stage. And this is our stage. We just find a clear patch of dirt and that is our stage. Now, I think that theater is essential for two reasons. Uh, first of all, theater is a very effective way to uh, bring important information to people in an attractive way and especially in isolated communities. You can make a play about anything, voting rights, water conservation, health issues, anything. And secondly, theater training is empowering unto itself. It's good training for speaking out in public, uh, speaking with poise, speaking with confidence, and, and speaking on your own behalf. So now, very important, we never go into a community with our own agenda. We work peer-to-peer -peer with our partners on the ground in each location on issues that they decide. What do they think is important to talk about right then and there? Refugee exploitation, 
border issues, internet ethnic violence, whatever it is. Now I'll focus on Afghanistan first. We began working in Afghanistan in 2003, right after the American bombing, you can see what it looked like. And before that, we worked in the Afghan refugee camps in Pakistan in 2002. So after decades of civil war and Taliban rule, we were amazed that theater groups began springing up in villages all over Afghanistan. Now, this is amazing because most people had not seen theater before for decades, and it proved to us that theater is intrinsic to human nature. Human beings love to tell stories and love to act them out. Telling stories is how we work out problems. That's really the basis. But also we couldn't help notice that there were no women. In response, we created four all women's theater groups in Afghanistan that perform solely for women. Now I have to say it took many meetings with local mullahs and village elders to get permission to do this, but we succeeded. And when they see the performance, they say, this is an Afghan show. This is a good message. You should continue. So we had to develop very quick ways to train non-actors how to create and write and perform their own shows. And this has become actually our specialty over the years. Now, here are the girls. This is one example. Uh, here are an exercise that we use for the girls. Calling your name over the map. As you can see, the girls line up on one side of the room. Then one by one, the girls go up on the other side of the room and call their name loudly as though calling their name over the mountain. And then the whole line of girls echoes their name back to them. And I'll tell you, this is so empowering. The girls came up to me afterwards and they said, this is the first time I feel like me. Yes, I am Marzia. I am Fatima. Uh, because very often girls don't hear their names that way. So um, the first time the girls get in front of an audience and they see the impact of, that they have on an audience, they are forever changed. Then you can't get them off the stage. Even performing just for women, I have to say, has its dangers. And especially lately, I'm very distressed by what's going on in Afghanistan. <laughs> The girls may not be actors forever, but I'll tell you this, that they will not forget the power of commanding a stage. Now, this is a video showing you how wonderful their work is. Rena, Jude, Toy, aha, Toy, Yakadiga, Amina, Alif, Amina, who does think of the Albertian raft? Amina, aha, Don. Stay tall, it's a hundred and twenty. As an answer, 
یاد گرفتم جمیله؟ ها جمیله او هر روز امروی اولاداش درس میخوانه حالا او هر بدی که تو هم وادموتو میکنی؟ درس خوندن که کار بدی نیست ما ضربه سوال کشیده دوباره من سوال بازی میکنی ها؟ به اجازه مخانه همسایه منی که هیچ آلی کتاب هم میخانی؟ تو زنی همسایه من رو دیوانه کده الهی مادر میمورد که این روزه سرت نمیده شاگل جان تو خمیان هم مردی میخی دخنرم الهی دیستاش مایده میشد که زرش سرزنش نشان نمیداد میخی دخنرم مادر بخی آزم زبان تا بگی میفهمی کی را میگی ها اگو بیا در زادهت هست این دخترت هست خوراز میگه زنه چی با درس خانده نموتو نیست آها کل چیز خدا بر شما مرد آفریده بلا نزنه چون مرد کازو چشمه سرس پر کجا رفید دختر؟ رفت خانه آمکی خانه جمیله رفید کنم جمیله او نموزن آخر خانه دختر خراب میکنه So you can see that the uh, the girls are very good actors and they're very good at uh, portraying the male roles. Now they wrote every word of this. I wrote nothing. Um, now our groups have performed in women's prisons and shelters, among other places all over Afghanistan. Uh, the justice system in Afghanistan is weighed heavily for men. The testimony of a woman is only half of a man's. So most of the women in the prison we found were there for so-called uh, moral crimes, running away from an abusive home life or a forced marriage. Meanwhile, the men's groups that we work with are also creating shows and they're promoting the same issues that the women are. And so now we're going to see the men's groups performing a play about voting rights for men and women. And these shows reached 200,000 people in areas where women performed, the women's voting increased by 80%. So this is the election project.
circumstance. I'm going to speak briefly because I think I'm running out of time here, but I'll speak briefly about the work with the Rohingya refugees in Malaysia. In 2009, we went to Myanmar uh, after Hurricane Argus. Hundreds of children were orphaned by this disaster and the monasteries took them in. It was a very, very sad situation. Now, the monasteries wanted us to create a show about hygiene. And here we see our partners on the ground here, Takuma Kaite, demonstrating what happens to you if you don't wash your hands. Uh, we also went to uh, Myanmar to learn about the Rohingya, a minority group that had been excluded from the most rudimentary services in Myanmar. They were essentially stateless people. Now, the Rohingya have been fleeing Myanmar for years, trekking through the jungles of Thailand, paying traffickers who may cheat you or sell you or worse. And many go to Malaysia, a country that harbors uh, more than 20 countries, refugees from more than 20 countries. Now here we partnered with Asylum Access, which is a legal aid organization that assists refugees. And they had been presenting a PowerPoint presentation in English to each group, and no one understood a word. So theater to the rescue, working with the Rohingya Women's Development Network, we created scenes without language that illustrated every point, where to get health care, where can you send your children to school, what to do in cases of employment abuse, what happens if you're detained by the police, etc. And everyone understood it. So now we're going to hear from Sharifa, the founder and director of the Rohingya Women's Development Network, and she's going to be speaking about the effect that the performing had on the women. So she asked me, how do you do theater without any language? I said, yes, well, you know, you, you, you use your body language. People should be able to understand you just through your body language. strongly uh, down to the stage and they're like you know i'm feeling so empowered i never thought somebody will clap for me and thank you they said it have helped me the confidence that i wasn't on the stage and after the stage is totally different and thank you as well as another very important point that i want to tell the audience that actually theater is the best uh, tool to help people, uh, you know, overcome their mental health as well. 
like um, there are so many uh, things like I mentioned earlier in my speech that we go through in our life from Myanmar to the journey to Malaysia in Malaysia and all this you know conflict and you know persecution problem violence tortures we carry that in us and we are not able to talk to the people because it is in us but when we act and when we see our own people acting on those issues is actually really help us and these are the things i think many people doesn't aware that theater can actually really really help people this theater have the project that we have done have really help us uh my community my organization people around me and people that have seen you know it is very helpful and i really hope this kind of project will be you know go on and never stop and the mission i pray that thank you very much i turn this over to gwyneth that is our presentation and i look forward to your questions in the next phase of the project Thank you so much, Joanna and Amal and Andy. I want to invite you to turn on your cameras and take off your uh, mutes uh, so that we're all here at the end uh, gathered together. And thank you, um, dear community members again, um, especially our students here at NYU Abu Dhabi, students in New York, our faculty colleagues, and of course our community near and far in this new virtual space that we're um, you know, meeting each other in. Um, before we open it up to a uh, the Q&A with our audience, with our public tonight, I want to just begin now with a few conversations, conversations between the panelists uh, related to their work. And first of all, thank you, Joanna. Thank you, Amal. And thank you, Andy, uh, for allowing me to be part of uh, this uh, conversation this evening. And the first uh, um, question that I want to ask is to you, Joanna, and um, that really relates to the often heard critique of cultural diplomacy really as a political platform. And Andy mentioned this earlier in his presentation as a platform re for reproducing particular ideologies um, of the in the host country. And I wanted to ask if you could bring out a little bit more um, the ways in which your work engages with local stakeholders, the difficult project of negotiation and conversation with, for example, in Afghanistan, as you talked and shared um, in our conversations behind the scenes with the Department of Justice, with local mullahs and imams, imams pardon, and uh, the local mosque to um, really engage uh, the grassroots community organizations in order to create through your work a kind of theater that provides a voice and an important sense of agency for local communities that you have come to serve in these 35 years working in places from Kosovo to Malaysia to Afghanistan. So please. Right. Yes. Well, as I said, when we come into a community, we don't come in with our own agenda. And I should also explain what we mean by we, because um, uh, it's not I traipsing around the world solely by myself. It is a vast network of artists that we work with in each location. We have an office and a staff and a large troop of actors in uh, Afghanistan. We've been working there for almost 20 years. So we've trained many people and uh, learned from them and they've learned from us. And uh, 
now we're now we're like an ensemble. So they go up and do the work, and they. I did talk to the local Lola's in the very beginning. Of course, this was a very. Um, a difficult, contentious issue, but uh, I was surprised that uh, they were quite open to it. As long as women were performing for other women, it seemed to be really fine. And when they saw the value of that, then it was it, it, it took off. So now there's more all women's theater companies in Afghanistan. Um, again, the danger, you know, it, it, it is heartbreaking to see the changes that are going on now because, uh, you know, I just talked to one of our key people there the other day. And she said that um, things have really re reversed quite a lot. And, and they've been picking off, um, you know, 300 journalists, Afghan journalists, women have quit their jobs because it's just too dangerous. And uh, women are doing voiceovers. They've, uh, four of them were killed in a car. So this is, um, uh, but going back to your question, I'm sorry about the, um, you know, speaking your mind. Uh, we found around the world that there are many more commonalities than differences. And I think that that's what happens when you give people a voice and you, uh, through the arts, any of the arts, you find that, that we have way more in common than differences. And maybe that's cultural diplomacy. But finding those commonalities, I think, are really uh, the way we find um, agency, the way we communicate and come together across borders. Thank you so much. Damal, I wanted to um, move to you and ask, you know, given the current geopolitical context that's ever changing and the difficulties presently, what do you see as the most important role of your work today as a musician, as an artist, as a producer and cultural activist? Um, that part of the question, and then also, how has Translucent Borders, I think you addressed this a little bit in your um, previous presentation, but how has Translucent Borders provided with you with a space to reflect on your practice as an artist and as a cultural activist? Thank you again. Thank you, everybody. Um, the main rule or the main um, thing that occupies my mind and thoughts are two things. First one, to survive, because um, now everybody can uh, make his music and broadcast it on his Instagram, on his uh, social media. And even if he's not student for music, even if he's not an artist, he can have gained a lot of followers, a lot of, uh, you know, likes, and he become an artist. And I believe that artists must study and, you know, all the time develop his own uh, artistic journey from the main and from the, you know, quality side and um, is to survive and to find out how to be uh, modern and what is happening in the world, how to, to deal with the new generation, how to deal with the young uh, generation. Uh, and to survive as a producer, because you know now there's nobody that come and say, "Let's, I will make you your own, your new CD or your new." There's no CDs even. Uh, your new, uh, um, you must push your music on the platforms uh, that people can hear it and uh, following you and download, etc. So this is from the personal side that I think a lot of uh, artists are dealing with. But inside uh, where I live, it's becoming more and more complicated. As I explained, the majority that, that is um, ruling and controlling everything is the majority that speak and they sing in Hebrew. 
and not Arabic. So I must, you know, uh, bring that my songs will be not broadcasted in the radios. So how I can exist, it's to be more and more on the social media. The other thing, the most important thing is how to keep the hope, how to keep the dream. Because when you live in a difficult reality, also war and the, uh, a lot of conflicts, a lot, lot of miserables, a lot of tragedies surrounding us. I mean, singer or an artist want to create. I cannot ignore what is happening. I cannot choose only to be in a superstar and be beautiful and sing. No, I want to deal with the reality. I want to reflect the feelings of people, but not to lose my, uh, my quality uh, work. And if, you, if we live in a place that young people are not dreaming or people are losing the hope, so my duty as an artist was to work a lot on my heart and my soul and my mind to keep the hope. And sometimes I feel weak sometimes for one day or two days. And then I stand up again and again, remembering that long time there was a war all around the history and that a lot of poetry and painters and singers continue to create, to play music, to write songs. And these songs are immortal, are still exist even 70 years or 100 years, like the tradition songs that I still keep, uh, even 100 years that my grandmother was singing. So um, wars and death cannot kill art. Art is always alive. And this is what I'm dealing with, is how to push and how to give myself and my musician and my colleagues and my people the hope the, to believe that we can lead the change, even if everything looks really uh, destroyed and disaster. Always to feel the power that we have as an artist and as a human being, we know what is right, we know what is good, and we know how, how important to make peace and to, make, to bring freedom come through. Uh, so I'm dealing with both sides, the technical side, how I uh, keep my music on all these changes in the media, while I'm not broadcasted in the main Arabic uh, um, uh, TVs, I'm not. I'm not in the Israeli also. I'm not in the worldwide. So how I can, you know, uh, achieve more and more success as an artist and also the new generation of Palestinian singers and artists, where, where are they going with their art? The second part of your question, and I'm sorry for making this long, regarding the translucent borders, what gives me first to be surrounded with artist atmosphere artistic atmosphere to be surrounded with colleagues to feel that i am uh, similar to, to the others and they are similar to me for the human side we become friends it's always to keep to be to make vocal warm up body warm up to improvise to prepare things and then to create together and also to bring my voice and my story and my career and the, my people to uh, my colleagues, uh, and even sometimes to, to argument a little bit, but in the end, I think I miss this group like my family. I love them very much, and I really hope that uh, the pandemic ends for all the artists and all the people, and we return back that we can travel and create together and to continue this important process uh, and to raise more and more voices of people that their voice is really low and they cannot really... Uh, be in the main in the main uh, stream 
So this is what I feel that uh, translucent borders came, especially that I might know how to talk and to sing, but I'm not so, you know, prepared like Andy. He's making videos and making, you know, slideshows. And uh, so I uh, trust him uh, to keep the history of our work in his uh, office. So it's important. Thank you so much, Amal. Before we open it up to um, the questions of you that I see um, stacking up here in the Q&A, I just want to turn to Andy Tierstein, uh, who really brought us here together tonight and ask you to very briefly comment uh, before we open it up to the public Q&A on your sort of reflections. And I think for me, um, the question of education and curricular development going forward, forward as a way of creating a sustainable model for the work that you've been doing during the last four to five years. Um, so please. Thank you so much. Oh my God, it's so inspiring to hear you guys. Uh, Joanna, I, every time I learn more about your work, I can't believe the detail that you got. And I know how much work that took. It's unbelievable. Uh, Amal, I'm so inspired by you. I just... Yes. So briefly, I will say that uh, the challenge to us as an institution is NYU. I challenge NYU. I'll send this out there to anybody who's listening who may be in a position to do something with this. But the Translucent Borders Project, the Global Institute for Dance and Music is the larger name for it. It really was just a, the beginning. It was an opening door. It was the opening windows on something. And we need to go further with this because the future really is is that is connection across across borders in a true way, in an authentic way, not not just, you know, uh, uh, propaganda, like just making things look, oh, isn't this great? We can work together. We're not interested in that. We're, working, we're interested in doing this with integrity and the skill of dancing and music, music on a high level and connecting across those borders so we can learn from each other, so I can learn more from Amal, so that, you know, X can learn from Y. And it's we never know where that's going to go, where it's going to lead. Students need to do this because students navigate so many planes of identity now on their own. They're, they're constantly navigating who they are. And uh, our courses going forward are going to create blog bridges across uh, different, you know, for our big ideas course so that students can connect with each other and ask themselves where their identity leads them in terms of their, their grandparents and their stories and their, how that can connect with another student in another place on that level as well. Thank you so much, Andy. And um, for those of you listening tonight, I want to just share that Amal Murkas uh, will be visiting one of my classes in music history um, on April 15th. So if you're interested in uh, learning more about her work, um, please contact me so that you can reach out. And also Joanna Sherman was already a guest last week in another class that I'm teaching this semester. Before opening it up, um, I just uh, share with our panelists a few um, anonymous uh, uh, sort of uh, comments that have come in from Nura, who said that she's a francophone poet, and she just really thanks all of you tonight for your webinar. Yeah. Another um, anonymous comment that just said, you know, can you please make these um, links, Joanna, available about the Afghan Women's Theater? And of course we can. Please reach out, anonymous attendee. 
uh, reach out to me and I will make those available to you and also connect you with Joanna who can facilitate more. Um, and now I'd like, um, dear panelists, and please do remember that we're going to be concluding our program tonight with a performance by Amal Murkas live on Zoom. It will probably be around 8 or 8.05 and we'll conclude just slightly late tonight um, after we've engaged with your comments. This first uh, question is for you, Joanna. It says, I'm really curious about whether local traditions of either Afghanistan or Myanmar are enlisted in these workshops or performances. Uh, can you engage with that? And just, I think you need to turn on your sound. Uh, you said local musicians, is that what you said? I couldn't... Local theater traditions of Afghanistan or Myanmar are enlisted in these workshops oh, or... Yes. Yes, could you... Yeah. Now, the, the, the situation in Afghanistan was such that they... Um, uh, their training that, that they came to me with was kind of the old Soviet theater. So that's what they had. We came in only showing them that the other things had happened in the world over the 20 years that they were missing. So uh, we showed them what happened, what was going on in Europe and what was going on in Japan and what was going on in other parts of the world. We came in with music from all different places just to show people what kind of what they missed, but also to, um, you know, um, excite their imagination to what could be possible. So, you know, we were just sort of an introduction to, um, you know, uh, all that was possible in the world. And, um, the performance that we did last in Myanmar was a, a completely Burmese-U.S. mix fusion that was really, really quite remarkable because it had Burmese music and dance and live music and uh, energy, and uh, but it with the play was about. Um, how women, how, how people should have uh, a choice in a jury. The idea of a jury deciding, which is a very new concept. So we are really sort of stepping out, but always our local partners tell us how far you can go in what direction. Now, again, Myanmar, when we arrived, was a military dictatorship and there wasn't much you could say. We saw things open up a little bit to the extent that we could do a play about a court system that was... Burmese and American together. And, and now we see that there's a coup and there's again a military dictatorship. So when would we be able to do something like that again? It's such a regression. So yes, all of our plays are fusions and or completely, completely Afghan shows mm -hmm. or, or Burmese. Thank you so much, Joanna. Our next question is for you, Amal, and this is from Sandra Aid. Um, and she's saying, Amal, I'm a half Lebanese girl who could not grow up in my country because of the politics of war. And it's art artists like you who kept me going and kept me in tune with my culture and the Levant. My question to you, Amal, is what was the best, what's the best experience that you've taken away from this career that you have when it comes to really opening up the borders um, in the performing arts and in your life. Thank you, Sandra. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. I also have Lebanese, half Palestinian, because my grandmother was born in Lebanon. Um, I think my truth keeps me, and my dream 
And the fact that I know that I uh, have a mission uh, and to think it's not only to earn money, it's only to, to make people happy, to express their feeling. And I also, even if people try to stop me and to make me not continue my process in all the places, in the society, in the government, in the political side, um, I was raised in a, in a family that um, support me a lot, not from the economy side, we were really poor, but from the moral side, my dad and my mom were supporting my dream all the time, all the time. And what kept me is that people admit that I'm a good, good artist. I never trust only the political issues or the production issues. I knew that I'm an artist that have a dream, I have a voice, and when I start to sing, uh, I will touch hearts of people. But as I remember very well, 1998, 90, 90, the year my first CD was released, Sandra, that the title was Amal, and we use the name Amal, which means hope, to let people remember Amal. I remember that no Israeli company, record company, or Palestinian, anybody agreed to produce my CD. And I decided to be a producer, and I learned to be a producer. And then I sent it away to UK, to EMI company, record company. And I wrote like a small letter that I'm a Palestinian singer, I have a dream, this is my CD, I wish to have distribution. And after one month I received that they love the CD and they want to distribute it worldwide, this makes a lot of change of my career. I fly over the borders and I reach the radios all around the world. And then I try to be, started to be invited to festivals. Uh, of course, they put me in the world music. Anyway, it's okay. Uh, and when I started to, to perform for audience and to meet uh, Arab audience in uh, France or in uh, Germany or in the USA, I started to see that I can sing for all people, not only people who understand Arabic, because my songs must reach the hearts of people. So always to trust yourself as an artist and always uh, to try to to walk, not in the what is going on in the in the social media, inside your heart, and to read a lot about artists and singers' history. It always gives you a lot of power. So good luck. Thank you so much, Amal. I think this is a perfect segue with what you said into all of us having this incredible opportunity to hear you sing for us live tonight. And I will just come in at the end uh, to say good night and bid all of you good night and to thank you and so many people who made tonight possible to give our thanks. But let, let's turn it over to you, Amal, and uh, ask you to sing your song. And thank you so much for all of you who are listening tonight. And please, Amal Murkas. Thank you. Thank you, Gwen. Thank you, Andy, Joanna, and all the our audience that I cannot see them now. So I hope you enjoy. What, well, I was, of course, confused when you asked me to sing one song, what to sing. Um, I will sing a happy song, but it's also connected to our roots. It's my one of my first songs. I think uh, Andy know it. And it talks about how we build a home. 
And in the Arabic poets, like a lot of poems are, there is a lot of metaphor. So it's for the, the house that was destroyed in the war and for the house that, was, that is going to be built in the future and for our houses and our families to be safe. And it's from um, the Galil, from Palestine to you all uh, that listening to me. And it talks that um, stone on stone, we build a home. Okay. Shiyom Midriki Shiyom Midriki Hattuhjor Fahjor Sarudor Shiyom Midriki Hattuhjor Fahjor Amal. And with that, I uh, want to thank you, Amal, and uh, you, Joanna, and you, Andy, 
uh, you, Andy, for bringing us together, all of us uh, in different places, from different places in the journey of your project. And also finally to thank the NYU Institute technical team, Shannon and Archie, also the assistant director of public programming, once again, Nahed Ahmed, for making uh, this evening possible uh, with your generous support uh, so that we could have this opportunity to explore uh, with you, our community and our students. And I want to thank uh, the Students for Justice in Palestine Association here at NYU Abu Dhabi for their generous support of tonight. Um, and for this opportunity to explore the role that the performing arts can play as truly a framework for rethinking and most importantly, reimagining the meaning of borders and borderlands in the diverse global contexts and sites that were part of the discussion tonight and part of the worlds in which each of you listening in um, inhabit and occupy. So with that, um, Thank you, our heartfelt gratitude for this time together. And with that, we want to wish you a very good night or maybe a good morning wherever you are in this global, new global virtual space. So thank you very much. Thank you, thank you Andy and Joanna. Thank you, all the audience. Thank you. Students. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, Gwyneth. It's a pleasure. Happy to see you. Good night, you guys. Thank you for everybody. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website, www.nyuad.nyu.edu/institute.